This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelor, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Okay, we're going to cover a number of different things in today's episode in regards to your relationship with food and your body, but we're also going to branch out of that box, bust a few holes in it, and start talking about some things that, I mean, I guess probably that most of us are navigating behind the scenes, but that we don't necessarily talk about, which is mm-hmm. what on the Robbie Chalks podcast, where we take you behind the highlight reel, what we really love to jam on. Today, Jesse Jean is joining me. She is a certified eating psychology coach who had her own struggle with food and her body. You are doing fitness competitions, obsessing over food, packing little baggies of food when you would go on vacation, tracking every single thing that you ate. And you broke free from this pattern and this space that obviously wasn't feeling totally aligned, you know, wasn't your life path. Mm -hmm. And now you've become this force that is supporting so many other women who are navigating their own relationship with food and their body. So I'm excited to talk to you today a little bit about your story and some of the tools that have supported you in getting to where you are now. But then like, we're also going to talk about other parts and pieces of you. Well, I am so happy to be here. This is amazing. Okay. For those who have not met you yet, tell us a little bit about your journey with food and your body. Absolutely. So I started struggling from the time I was uh, in high school and I suffered in silence. I didn't know that this struggle was as common as it is. It was very, very shameful. I was embarrassed. I, I hit it. I didn't even have language to define what it was that I was going through. I just knew that I was doing things with food that caused me to feel guilt and caused me to want to hide and to shrink away and to not tell people. I just didn't feel right about what I was doing with food. And it continued to progress into college and it got worse in college. I continued the dieting and with each successive diet, it got more extreme and the rebound and weight gain that came afterwards got more intense. And then I would do an even more extreme form of dieting and the cycles continued to perpetuate themselves into my early twenties. And I was getting to a point in college where I started questioning if life was even worth it. I remember one time I was sitting on my bed in my dorm room and I had this thought, if this is how the rest of my life is going to be, because I didn't see a way out. I had been dealing with this for years at this point in secret and in shame, the binging and compensatory behaviors to try and make up for binging. And just my sense of self-confidence was crumbling and my sense of self was crumbling and I didn't understand how I could be so driven in other areas of my life. I could pursue my studies. I could hold a job. I could excel in different ways, but I, I couldn't figure out this thing with food. And I knew it wasn't for lack of effort. I tried and tried and tried. And so it just, yeah, broke down my sense of self and my self-belief so much. And I remember thinking, man, if I have to deal with this the rest of my life, I don't know if I can, I don't know if life is worth 
living. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty scary for me because I was an optimistic and positive person and overall bubbly outgoing. And to have those types of thoughts enter my head felt, uh, very scary for me and very shameful. And then I had this thought that, you know, one day I I think I want to become a mom and I cannot imagine passing this struggle with food down onto my future children. If I don't figure it out, I remember that kind of being the motivation to keep trying, even if it killed me to try the rest of my life. I thought, I just have to figure this out. I have to get out of this. I come from a family of those who've struggled with various types of addiction. And I know the pain that it creates in the family dynamic. And I did not want to be that source of pain for my future family. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I've got to figure out a way out of this. And so I mustered up every ounce of courage that I had and every penny I could put together to put myself in therapy and started going to therapy and felt like it was therapeutic in the sense that I was talking about childhood challenges and traumas and working through some things that really needed attention, but my behaviors with food and my body weren't changing. And that was even more discouraging because I had mustered up the courage to seek help. And I put together the money to get help and I was still struggling. And my therapist had recommended that I go to overeaters anonymous, which is like alcoholics anonymous. It's a 12 step program. There's meetings. You can go every day. You have a sponsor, but what I found, and I'm not, uh, I don't want to bash therapy or OA. I'm definitely a huge proponent in therapy. It just wasn't the thing that worked to heal my relationship with food, but overeaters anonymous for me also wasn't the solution because we would go to these meetings and we would say things like you do in, in AA, you'd say your name and you would say, you know, my life has become powerless. I'm powerless over food and things that were pretty just disempowering overall. And yeah. And so I was labeling myself these things and I was feeling trapped because I remember my sponsor had said that we needed to stay away from carbs and sugar, because those things are really propelling the struggles and that she would hold me accountable. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I know a lot of people have found support in programs like that. So that's not to say it hasn't worked for some people, but for me, it was just perpetuating the fear of food. And I found my way into the fitness industry and I thought, oh, this is the solution. The more I can learn about nutrition and the more I can learn about fitness. And it began to feel empowering on the one hand, but then of course I took it to the extreme and I thought competing in fitness competitions is the solution. I'm going to compete. And in doing so, I will feel so much pressure to get a bikini body that I'll finally get one. And then it'll solve my relationship with food. Oh, yeah. And so that was kind of my game plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And that sent me down the darkest hole that I've ever been in with food in my body. Because even though I was the smallest I had ever been, I was also the most neurotic with food I had ever been. And following each successive competition, the weight uh, rebounding was so intense. My hormones were all thrown off. And it wasn't until I finally found mental reprogramming, understanding the neuroscience of behavior change that I started to understand how to reprogram my brain around food and 
that's when I began to really make peace with food and find this uh, intuitive relationship with food that was always available to me, but I didn't trust myself for the longest time. And so it was a really long journey of trial and error to get to this point where I'm now at, which is I don't track my macros. I don't follow a meal plan. I don't look towards external things to guide my eating. I'm able to listen to my intuition. I never thought I would be able to eat a meal and stop when I was full without overdoing it. And now I do that effortlessly. And I don't look at myself and hate myself. when I see myself in the mirror, I I don't have much of a um, self-perception that's wrapped up in body image anymore. So it's less about me feeling like, oh yes, I finally look good. And so much more about like Lindsay and Lexi kind of beauty redefined say it's knowing that I am good. And I really believe that I'm good. And yeah, my body, there's things I don't like about it, but it no longer impacts my sense of self or self-belief. So it was a really long journey. And I know that was a long-winded answer, but that's kind of the overview of my story. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. What a beautiful story. And I'm sure that everyone listening right now can relate to one part or another of that. I love when you said it wasn't for lack of trying. I was trying so hard to figure out my relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that a lot of women and girls and teens are trying really hard to figure out their relationship with food. And the solutions that have been presented time and time again are to control your food, to Mm -hmm. control your exercise, to control your body, that the solution to all of the problems is to just get smaller and tighter and more toned and to 
start controlling your food. But as you and I both know, it's the control piece that actually results in the binge, in the overeating, and then perpetuates this cycle over Mm -hmm. and over and over. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I mean, you've had highs and lows, and now you're in this space where you actually coach and work with women who were in the same space that you are in. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tools that you use to support women who are in that space where they feel a bit trapped by food or they're constantly thinking about it to progress from where they are into a space where they can trust their body a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always say it's ironic that when we try and control food, we lose control. And when we release control, we find all the control that we were hoping for, all the balance that we were hoping for. But yeah, there's a lot of different tools that I use in my program. First, understanding kind of the domino effect of our behaviors. So a lot of times when we set goals, we're often looking at what I call the outer layer of the onion, which is the results. And we only go one level in a lot of times, which is to our behaviors. If I want this goal or this outcome, outcome that I need to do, you know, X, Y, and Z to get there. I need to change these behaviors. But what we often don't do is look a little bit deeper into what's influencing our behaviors and that's our emotions. And a lot of us are emotionally constipated because we don't know how to process emotion. And so mm-hmm. we feel this emotion, some of it's uncomfortable and because we don't know how to handle it and it's uncomfortable, it's creating anxiety. We stuff it. There's all this built up internal pressure that's repelling us to need unhealthy coping mechanisms to numb out. It's like, can I utilize food to not feel this or to numb this feeling? And so in a layer even deeper than our emotions is our thought life. Mm-hmm. And what's going on inside of our thoughts is perpetuating how we feel. And then at the deepest level, researchers believe is our belief system. And if we can understand and the core of who we are are our beliefs and true behavior change is belief change. And so instead of just staying on this, these outer layers of, okay, I have this goal and I want to, I need to change these behaviors. What we do in my program is we start going deeper. We start looking at our emotions and how we transform emotion because no emotion lasts forever. If we know how to process it, it just transforms and we can transform anxiety into excitement and anticipation. We can transform shame into grace and we can transform guilt into positive momentum, but we need to know how to do that and how to process and how to be better feelers. I always say, if you want to feel better, you have to practice feeling and feeling more, but a lot of us don't even know how to do that. We were never equipped with the tools. And so we resist, resist, resist. And then a lot of us don't know how to control our thought life and how to be the manager of it, because whatever thoughts are marinating inside our mind, it's just a domino effect. And so I like to teach my clients that, hey, we need to start paying attention and developing self-awareness around our thought life. We need to start understanding the core of our belief system and how the lens in which we see the world. We need to start learning some emotional coping tools so that we can process the things that we feel so they're not spilling into our behaviors with food. Because what happens is if you're trying to behave in a certain way, but your emotions don't support that, your thought life doesn't support that, your behaviors aren't supporting that, you feel out of alignment and inconvenient congruent. And that's when you're having to use willpower to force a behavior. Yes. Oh, I love this. I love the analogy of the onion and the outer layer being our behaviors. If you're listening right now, think about an action that you have wanted to do or take 
that you felt you had to will yourself to do it. Maybe it's moving your body. Maybe it's drinking water in the morning or taking your supplements. You know, that feeling when, when you're really having to force it and Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it's, there's just a sense of ease or oneness with it. Mm -hmm. And so this work of going deeper into the onion, which not a lot of health and wellness programs do, we do this Mm -hmm. in the reset too, but it's so important because that's where we actually start to create the transformation and the change where all of this other work starts to mm-hmm. feel a little bit more, I don't want to say easy. That's not the word, <laughs> but in flow, in you're flow. not yeah. so hard, right? Yeah. Do it all the exactly. Time. exactly. And, and one thing I'll add on to that is a lot of times we have this dialogue going on in our head that goes something like I should drink more water or I should move my body. And what we have to understand is I also talk about conscious language mm-hmm. should oftentimes makes us feel shame, shame if we don't do the thing. And so if we can understand and have an awareness around our thought life and the way that we speak to ourselves and understand what language and what way of speaking to ourselves creates this natural desire to move us in the direction that we want to go instead of trying to drive ourselves by fear, guilt, and shame, it feels a lot easier. It feels more in flow. And so I always catch myself when I notice I'm saying things like, oh, you should do this. And instead I try and adjust my dialogue and say, if it, if it's the water example, you know, instead it's like, instead of, oh, you should be drinking more water. It's like, oh, when you drink water, it feels so good. Or it, it takes away your headache. Cause oftentimes I'm, I get dehydrated and I, I'm getting these splitting headaches instead of, oh, you should drink water. You know, no, drinking water is going to help alleviate this headache. You're going to feel so good if you drink water. And so kind of just changing that language around energetically, it feels different in our system when we say things like that. And it becomes a discipline to train ourselves to think and speak in ways that take us to a higher energetic vibration. So we can more readily attract the things that we want, but it is a discipline. It's a discipline in growing in awareness in your thought life and then interjecting and interrupting those thought patterns and saying, nope, like we're not going to speak like this anymore. And like you said, that it takes actual awareness of where your thoughts are, are at and what are the things that you're consistently repeating over and over again in your mind mm-hmm. and then interjecting. So think about as you're listening right now, moments in your life when you say, I have to, or I should. And then are there any ways that you could flip that into something that feels more empowering? I get to, I choose to, when I do this, it feels. And using that as a tool right off the bat from this episode, that is just like a brilliant Mm -hmm. piece that you can take away because the words that we speak are representation of the beliefs that we carry and create emotion within us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the questions that I get most frequently from the women that I'm working with as they move through the program and they are going into this space of releasing the control over food, stopping the restriction. And with that comes a tremendous amount of fear over what's going to happen to their body, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to gain all the weight, but I'm going to lose complete control and eat all of the things. Mm -hmm. What support or advice would you give somebody who's in that space? Mm, Yeah, that's such a common fear. And if you're feeling that you're certainly not alone, that was something that kept me from pursuing recovery for so long. And an activity that I teach my clients that is super simple and pretty powerful is when you're getting into that headspace, it's just going into a little mental activity of what's true and what's not true. So 
okay, what's true here is I am in this messy in-between phase of healing my relationship with food where I'm releasing this built up internal pressure that I've carried for so long because of my restrictive behaviors or because of these cycles that I've been in. What's true is I do have these fears and what's true is maybe I'm eating more than feels balanced right now, or, you know, I'm bloated because I'm eating this and, you know, I I don't feel balanced, but what's not true is, and then just start to call out the fears, like the little fear gremlin, the fear voice. What's not true is that for me, one of the fears, what's not true is you're going to be like a balloon and just gain weight and gain weight and gain weight until you pop. That's not true. What's not true is that you are unlovable and undesirable if your body does fluctuate. What's true is your body will fluctuate your entire life. What's not true is, and just call out every single fear that's speaking. We know in our soul what's fear and we know what's fact. You can just differentiate fact from fear. And in doing that, I think it helps just ground us a little bit in those moments. And also remembering that the binge eating, the emotional eating, the compulsion with food is a part of the healing journey. As crazy as that sounds, we can't pivot around it. We oftentimes have to go through it. We have to give ourselves permission to eat to maybe the point sometimes where it feels uncomfortable. And then instead of beating ourselves up the way we're used to meeting ourselves with compassion and grace and showing ourselves a different response, that can be a super powerful part of the healing journey. Mm. And the fear, I always tell my clients when they express this fear, I say, okay, we can stair-step our way into recovery. We don't have to go too fast. If it doesn't feel good for you, we can stair-step our way there, but we have to start leaning into the fear. We can't go around this. We can't pivot around this. Like we have to lean into the fear. And I always say we have to give our, our body permission to ebb and flow. And some of us might gain weight in the healing journey. Some of us might not. But what all of us have to do is overcome the fear of gaining weight. And so another activity I give my clients is I say, when you're saying things like, I'm afraid of spiraling out of control, I'm afraid of gaining weight. Those are pretty pressure inducing oversimplifications of what you're really afraid of. Mm -hmm. And so I say like, just take out your journal and let's kind of break down the fear and see what it is that is inside of that fear. So I'm afraid of gaining weight. What have I associated weight gain to mean? And so we can start to pull out all these fears. Well, maybe you've associated it to mean failure or to mean you're undesirable or unattractive, or you won't have these opportunities, or you're going to be judged by your mother-in-law who's upset with dieting or whatever it is and start to write down all of the little fears that are encompassing the fear of weight gain. And then we can start tackling each of those individual fears and look at them for what they are and kind of start to break them down. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that voice of Mm self-compassion is so pivotal. I also find that something important to remember in this process is I read this in, in Christy Harrison's book, anti-diet, and it was something that I was already familiar with, but she was able to just put it into words when we're healing our relationship with food. And we do relax the restrictions that we carry around food for a moment and give ourselves permission to eat that there might be, and most likely will be a honeymoon period with food when you're reunited and where Mm -hmm. you do eat all the things and where you do 
eat to the point of being uncomfortable, or you feel like you're losing complete control. Mm -hmm. But when you meet yourself with self-compassion, I'm healing right now. This is a journey I've restricted for so long, whatever it is, giving yourself that self-compassion. And then you continue to feed yourself that your body will start to relax around food and trust that it is going to continue to receive food Mm -hmm. and it won't have to stockpile like a little squirrel Mm -hmm. as much anymore. And you kind of relax from there. Mm -hmm. So that period I do think can be one of the most challenging, heightened fear-based moments of recovery. And it's not often talked about where it's like, we're struggling and then we learn to eat intuitively or whatever it was that worked and we feel good. But there is a moment in there that can feel quite disarming when your beliefs and your behaviors and your emotions are shifting. And so in that time, giving yourself the space to slow down, giving yourself the self-compassion and all the things Mm -hmm. and working with somebody, whether it's a therapist or a psychologist, if you have the financial means or finding a coach like Jesse, and I do this work too. It's always interesting to me. I've had a couple of people be like, it's so weird how you have other coaches who literally do the same thing as you come on the show. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't find it strange at all because 65% of women are struggling with disordered eating. Like Mm -hmm. we need all hands Mm -hmm. on deck and Mm -hmm. every woman is going to find the place and person that resonates with them. And as we talk and connect and share ideas, then the work that we do becomes more impactful. And so to me, it makes complete sense and it is absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I always say my biggest accomplishment in life would be to work myself out of a job because nobody else struggled. It's like, and you're right. There's so many people who need the help. And I am so passionate about other people stepping into the role of coach, therapist, psychologist to help and serve those who, who get it and who have been there. Because if you don't get it, it's hard to support people who are going through it. And so I am 100% of that belief that we need to connect as people who are serving those who struggle, because this is, this is a really, really big worldwide epidemic that needs as many people as possible uh, supporting. It's complicated. It's Mm -hmm. complicated, but there are solutions and tactics and tools and Mm -hmm. and resources available if you're in that space. Okay. I'm curious to know without going into too many details, because I don't want people to grip onto the specifics. Yeah. I'm curious to know what a day of eating looks like for you now versus Mm -hmm. when you were in that eating disorder place uh, overall. Yeah. So I always say to my clients, if you could put a camera on me, and follow me around all day for, let's say, a couple of weeks. What you would notice with my eating is that every day it's kind of different. There are some things that I do the same just out of convenience, out of not having enough time in the morning. I pretty much have the same breakfast, you know, some some eggs. And I'm kind of in a rut. I'm actually sick of my breakfast, but it's just we always have <laughs> eggs on hand. And we always, you know, we have sausage and we have, you know, avocados and toast. And it's kind of just been the thing we've done for a long time. So you would see that. And then you would also notice that some days... I'm I'm eating way more than other days. You would notice that sometimes I'm eating right after I had just ate because I took my dog out on a walk and I walked through the kitchen to go back up to my office and I saw the bag of chocolate. So I grabbed a handful of my little chocolate wafers and you would notice that um, sometimes I'm having an ice cream bar in the middle of the day and cake after dinner at night. And then some days you would notice that I 
eat in a way that looks quote unquote balanced in terms of diet culture standards where I'm having protein and carbs and fats and, you know, all the things for each meal. And some days you'll notice that I'm really busy and I'm ordering Uber eats and I'm getting fast food delivered Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. It's kind of different every single day. And I used to think that getting to a place of food freedom meant having every day look the same and be super balanced and, you know, have these perfectly proportioned meals at perfect intervals throughout the day. And the reality of food freedom is the ability to kind of ebb and flow with life and your circumstances and your cravings and not be afraid if one day you're feeling far hungrier than another or during your period, if you're craving more things and you're eating more than you typically do and just kind of ebbing and flowing with those things, that's kind of what you would notice. You would see, you know, if you kind of zoomed out the lens and you looked at my patterns over the period of a month, you would see patterns, but they're not the same in terms of every day. Every day is a little bit different. And I eat at regular intervals throughout the day. I used to kind of stockpile all of my calories and hoard them for night when I was really struggling with food. And now what you'll notice in my eating is that I eat regularly throughout the day. I prefer to have uh, three, four big meals, and then I'll have snacks in between, but I'm, I'm eating every few hours just to keep my blood sugars balanced, my hormones balanced. So that's what you would notice if you zoomed in and saw a day of eating. I've never heard somebody describe their day of eating and felt like you're describing my day of eating. Mm, It literally feels exactly the same. And I've never experienced somebody (laughs) who has put it into words and it's like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. And some days it's like a big, beautiful salad with chicken and avocado and olive oil Mm -hmm. and hemp hearts followed up by an ice cream bar in the middle of the day. Yeah. It's a really beautiful space to be in when you can have that flexibility around food and where my guess is for you that you're not thinking about it all that much. Mm -hmm. Like you've got bigger fish to fry Mm -hmm. and bigger pieces and parts of your life. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about that because yes, food and your body is one part of who you are, Mm -hmm. but what are some other things that you're kind of talking about right now? I know you've had a couple posts on social media that you mentioned we're getting a combination of both love and people who are pushing back or resisting them. Yeah, totally. Well, I listened to the mental health happy hour podcast. I think the host's name is Paul Gilmartin and he's a former comedian. And the way he talks about mental health is with a lot of comedy interjected, but I'm a huge fan of comedy. And when I stumbled upon the podcast, I just really enjoyed it. And one of the things that he does on his podcast is he does a shame and secret survey. And at the end of each podcast, he reads listeners submissions of just their shame and their secrets. Mm -hmm. And when I listen, And I thought, man, this is so powerful because what it does is it helps people feel not alone in their shame and secrets. In the middle of my eating disorder, if I were to hear somebody talk about the things that they do in terms of hiding wrappers at the bottom of the trash can or eating in secret or stealing your roommate's food when you have this impulsive moment or whatever it is, I would feel so much less alone. But there's a lot of shame and secrets that we all carry in other areas of our life, or a lot of us do. And people are drowning in guilt and shame and fear. And I am passionate about illuminating a light in the dark place. One of the things I decided to do recently 
recently on my social media was just have this like dirty little secrets share, just share the things that maybe you want to get off your chest. And what I found was that, you know, people shared all different types of things about their fantasies, about their shame around sex and the things that they think and the things that they do that they would never tell anybody. And when we shared it anonymously, of course, a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know other people struggled with this or with that. And what I have become passionate about or what I am passionate about is just giving people a safe space to share judgment free and conversation kind of translated into a lot of sex talk. There's a lot of shame around sex and there's a lot of different reasons for that shame. I think there's a lack of education around it. And so it's not mainstream to be super educated around sex and the female body and what works for you. And there's just, it's, it's just pretty toxic to be drowning in this shame. So I opened up the conversation and so many women started to share just their struggles with not feeling like they have a high set or any type of a sex drive. And they're really ashamed of that, how they feel like they have a really hard time getting off and they don't know what to do about that. And they don't know who to talk to about that. And they're faking orgasms with their partner because they don't want them to feel bad. And just, there was all this talk that started to come up. And I thought, man, this is really, really important that we open up this conversation. And at the same time, some people really didn't like it. It triggered them. Some women were sharing how they've married a man and they have interest in uh, female relationships and they don't know what to do about that. And there's, there was just so much of this that I felt why don't we talk about this more? I really want there to be places where women can come and just say, I don't know what to do about this, or I'm afraid of this. And there was women who said, you know, I feel like we need more talk around being lonely as an adult and not having friendships or abortions. Nobody wants to talk about that or, you know, sex lulls in marriage or relationship rough patches or being single into your later years, what that looks like. And it's just these things that people aren't talking about that I feel men and women need a place where they can open up and not be judged and share the things that they feel and get resources that they need. But there isn't a lot of places I feel like that happens. So I've been excited to kind of explore more taboo topics and hopefully just provide a space where people can share. That's not to say I agree with everything that everybody's talking about or I support everything, but I think being able to refrain judgment and just provide a space where we can all share is really, really important. That was such a beautiful exercise that you did. So she asked, uh, question as you can do on Instagram stories as to what is something that you feel shameful about or that you've never told anybody. And then people responded back and removing their name from it. She then shared the posts and often asked to the audience, is this something that you've experienced too with a yes or a no button? Mm -hmm. I have never been more engaged in a story than this one, because it was fascinating hearing people open up about these struggles. Mm -hmm. And what I found even more interesting was that when you asked the rest of the people who were listening as to whether or not they experienced it, there was never a time when that person who had shared the thing that they were shameful about was alone. Yes, maybe 10% of the audience had experienced it too, and 90% hadn't, but they were never alone Mm -hmm. in that experience or that thought or that fear or that shame that they felt. No, that is so powerful and so important in and of itself is just realizing in our most vulnerable moments that we're not the only one. Thank you for opening up that conversation. It's very interesting that sex kept coming up because obviously you've built this 
audience of women who are struggling in some capacity with their body. And then you're hearing that sex is one of the areas that there's also shame or discomfort, which makes sense that there's a connection there when Mm -hmm. we're not feeling empowered in our body, connected to our body, that that would then translate through into the sex or that there have perhaps been sexual experiences that have further perpetuated or shaped the -hmm. way that we feel in our body. Mm -hmm. All of these things are so connected. So connected. And if we look at ourselves as one note and not multidimensional, it's at such a disservice to our overall health and well-being. We have to understand that our relationship with food and body is impacting our relationships with others. It's impacting all the different areas of our life. It's impacting our sex life, vice versa. All these other areas of our life are impacting how we view ourselves, our relationship with food. And so if we can open up the conversation and see ourselves from a multidimensional lens, I think we can access so much more healing. Everyone needs to head over to her Instagram page mm-hmm. immediately at Jesse Jean. Follow along. We'll also share it in the show notes along with a link to her Rise with Morning Routine, a resource that you offer people who are wanting to build out their morning routine a little bit more. And then mm-hmm. you have your Food Freedom Online program as well. Yep. So we'll make sure that we link to that. I can't thank you enough for this mm-hmm. incredibly important work that mm-hmm. you're doing. And whether you continue with the coaching of food or discussions around taboo conversations, or this wonderful and complicated world of sex. I feel like you are just such a beautiful soul who gives so much to those around you. And I hope that you continue to give to yourself too, in whatever space that you're in, because you're so deserving of it and, and truly an incredible, incredible human. Thanks, Erin. And likewise, I feel the same. I love the content that you put out. And I think the work that we're both doing is so important. So I'm so happy that we got to connect. Listeners, I hope you've benefited from our conversation and that you felt moved in one way or another. I always say the first step is really just opening your mind to explore the possibility that maybe healing is possible. Maybe it is. And just listening to podcasts like Erin and just opening your heart space to invite in healing by learning is such a beautiful place to be. So if you're just kind of listening in the background right now, not sure if it's for you, that's okay to be in that spot and just, you know, know when you're ready to lean in and it's okay to feel uncomfortable when you lean in and you take that next step. So appreciate you having me on Aaron. Thank you. And as always, take what resonates with you as you listen to these episodes, let it sink in, marinate in it a little bit and leave the rest behind. If you feel like this conversation might support somebody else in your life or that somebody else, you know, might take a little nugget from it, please feel free to share it. You can screenshot it, tag at Raw Beauty Talks at Jesse Jean. We'll regram your posts and I hope everyone has a great week. I'll see you next week. And before I completely sign off one last tool to add to your toolbox, it's called the raw beauty reset. It's my 12 week coaching program specifically for women who are struggling with their relationship with food and their body. It's based on four key pillars, nourishment, movement, mindset, and self-love. You'll learn how to eat intuitively, how to create empowering beliefs within yourself, how to move your body in ways that feel joyful. So if you feel like you've been in a bit of a COVID winter slump, that you're finding it hard to get motivated motivated, that you're not feeling great in your body, maybe your eating's off, you're restricting or you're overeating or binging, 
this program was designed and created specifically for you. You can watch my free webinar, Five Steps to End the Battle with Food and Your Body, to give you a glimpse of some of the ways that I work as a coach. You can find that link down below. The Robbie D Reset is available to start any time. Three payments of $99. That's 25 bucks a week. I wanted it to be like you could replace your latte in order to join this program, which I think would give you a lot more satisfaction and a sense of calm and connection to your body and overall wellness. That's the raw beauty reset. You can click the links below to check it out. Would love to see some of you in there. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.